You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. That was good. Well done. Well done. And welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So excited for all of our families to dedicate little babies. Some of these families I've known for a while. Some of them I helped do their weddings. And it's just such a cool and exciting day. And uh, we have a couple babies here who have the nickname of Matt because I tell all the people when I do their wedding and they eventually have a kid. If it's a boy, you got to name him Matt. If it's a girl, you got to name him, I don't know, Matilda or Matina or something. I don't know. We got to come up with something. Anyway, so... Nobody thinks that's funny, huh? I have three kids. They all have my name in it. I'm working on being George Foreman. Hey, well, we're really glad you're here today. Uh, if you forget it. I'm all over the place. It's going to be a long day. We got a lot to cover today. Let's focus. So if you are visiting with us, and especially maybe your family member of a, somebody here with a child, and you don't know what we've been doing, we're walking through a chapter in Hebrews 11 called the, the kind of the heroes of the faith. And it says this in Hebrews 11, verse 11, and by faith. Even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Now, what we're doing is we're taking Hebrews 11's outline of these different heroes, and we're walking through the book of Genesis, and we're telling the story that like this verse is referring to. And so now what we're going to do, and this is going to have to buckle your seatbelts because we're going to have to cover a lot of chapters in a little space. We're going to cover the entire arc of the biblical character, Sarah. Her name starts as Sarai and ends up as Sarah, and we're going to cover her whole story in one Sunday today. Somebody texted me yesterday, said they were listening to last week's sermon, and their son walked through the room and said, are you listening to Matt in like one and a half speed? And she said, no, that's just how fast he talks. (laughs) Today is going to be just as bad or worse. I listen to everybody in double speed. And I am one, I, me, I am one of three pastors who I listen to my own sermons. I can't do them in double speed because even I can't keep up with myself. So today we got to cover a lot of ground and we're going to go really, really fast. And so I'm just hoping and praying that you'll stick with me. But here's the big question that we're going to answer throughout this morning, right? How much faith is enough? How much faith does it take that at the end of the day, I've passed the test? How much faith does it take in life to succeed or to thrive? Because that's really the big arc question that we learn from Sarah this morning. So before we go any further, let's just say a quick prayer, right? God, help us today. Some of us are on cloud nine. We got babies and we're excited and grandbabies. What's better than grandkids? And God, we're, a, we're loving life. Life is good. And we come here to be encouraged in our faith. Some of us, God, life is a struggle and it's hard. And we hear that even in Sarah's story. And so this question of faith is really one that we're wrestling with today. So God, wherever we are, whatever we're dealing with, would you meet us in this place? Would you speak a word for us? May we all walk away one step closer to you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, let's jump right into the story. What's going on in the book of Genesis so far is we're about to meet Sarai and Abram. I told you last week, I'll say it again quickly, Sarai's name's changed to Sarah, Abram's name is changed to Abraham. If I use them interchangeably, it might depend on where we are in the story, just so that's in your head. Now, when they got married, God eventually called them to leave and go to the land that he would show them. And though we talked last week about Abram, and next week we'll talk about Abram again, what happens is Sarah, as his wife, she goes with him. And she often is in the background of the story, and we don't see it. So that's why I wanted to spend a whole Sunday celebrating her. 
Now, it was common in ancient cultures. We don't know for sure. She probably would have been married off somewhere between 13 and 16 years old. And I know that's shocking to us today. Just buckle your seatbelt if you think that's shocking. It's not gonna get better. There's a whole lot of issues going on in the cultures. We're talking about a culture that is radically different than ours. Nevertheless, we're gonna deal with them where they are and us where we are and try to separate the two as best we can. In that culture, she probably would have got married around 13 to 16. And she follows Abram to this foreign country when she's around 65 years old. So just simple math, she's somewhere around her 50th anniversary, give or take. That's a cool thing to celebrate, right? Congratulations, Abraham and Sarah. For your 50th anniversary, you're gonna leave everything you've ever known and go to a land that God hasn't even revealed to you yet. What a great present. Men, I do not recommend this for your wife for your next anniversary. Hawaii, Gatlinburg, probably far better options than this. But they decide to go. Now, what we learn already in the story is God's going to birth something powerful out of them, an entire nation out of them. However, they don't have any kids yet. Now, people back then lived longer than they do today. And so as I joked last week, I don't know how to do the math. There's no, there's no math equation here. Is 75 the new 40? Like, I don't, I don't know what the math is. But what we do know is she's 65 and they have no kids. And that's an important part of the story and her arc of the story. Because as the female, the general expectation was if you couldn't get pregnant, it was your fault. Now, we will find out in the story that's actually somewhat accurate because we later find out Abraham is able to get people pregnant. But generally speaking, that would not be true in a world where we can understand science. We could find out any number of issues could be in the problem. But that created another issue for Sarah because it was the expectation that as the wife, you would get pregnant. This was one of, if not your major responsibility to your family, both your parents ahead of you, your spouse, you were supposed to produce offspring, especially male offspring, because they could help work the land. They could help do the work. They could carry the inheritance on to the next generation. They weren't uh, costly and gonna be a taxation on the family. Women were often traded as commodities. Now, this wouldn't be true in godly situations, in godly families. Women were still loved and adored, but you see these contractual relationships that are built. We even see this in a few more chapters where great-grandson, or not great-grandson, grandson of Abraham, um, Jacob ends up like trying to buy his wife by working for her dad for seven years. And he ends up having to work about 14 years actually for the wife that he wanted. And her name was Rachel. Now we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. The whole point though, is you're going to see that in this story and we're going to accept it as is. We're not going to say that this is the way it should be or the way that God desired it. But what we can do is see all the way back into Genesis chapter three, when the fall came and God came down and pronounced his curses If you'll remember, one of the curses that he said to Eve is now because sin has entered the story, you will long for the authority that your husband has over you. And this is important because there's this blanket principle that now because sin has entered the world, men do not treat women with the same adoration and value and preciousness that God desired before sin entered the earth. And even though this isn't a marriage sermon today, All of us Adams, men in the room, should let that stick in our head. Like, how do I better love and honor and cherish and adore this bride that God has given me? Now, hopefully that in and of itself is convicting enough. 
We're gonna jump into the story and find that God has called Abram. Abram has left his home, but now there's a problem. And it's the first of many problems they're gonna have to solve. Take a look, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and that's a really important thing. First of all, who can control a famine in the land? There's only one person. Who is it? Everybody's afraid to say it. It's God. He's the only one who can send the rain, right? Last time I checked, none of you have the power to send the rain. You can go do a rain dance. It's Indiana. There's a good chance you'll look really powerful because after your rain dance, it's probably gonna rain. In fact, if you chose today, well done. It's already raining. Good job. Thank you for bringing the rest of us rain. But it rains a lot here. That's not a problem. However, over there in the Middle East, it, it's a hit or miss. It can depend on the season. It can depend on a lot of things. And there's a famine in the land. And we don't know what to do with that. The text doesn't say, and God caused it. But the fact that there's a famine and God didn't send rain may mean God is doing something. But anytime God is doing something, there's a fallout on a lot of people. There's an impact. Now, God always has a path and a plan and something he's up to for the godly in that big thing that he's doing that he doesn't always let us in on what he's doing. So there's a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Down in Egypt, there's lush grass, there's, there's lush water coming up, the, everything's getting water from the Nile. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. It's very green, it's wonderful. Adam, or sorry, to Adam, Abram is being wise. He's taking care of his employees and he's taking care of his wife. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Well done. Well done, Abram. You, you got this one. Like every guy should go home, steal that one. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, ew, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. This is where we go, Huh? So part of what's happening, we don't understand. I'm not an expert in ancient Egyptian culture. But what we do know is the Pharaoh had a lot of power. It's not too hard to even see the corruption of that even further, hundreds of years further down the road in the story of the slaves in Egypt and the whole nine yards. So we're hundreds and hundreds of years before that. But the whole idea here is he is legitimately afraid for his life. So he's concocted a plan. Here's what we're gonna do. If we get there and the Pharaoh looks at you and goes, wow, that 65-year-old woman is looking good, and I would like her for my wife. He might kill Abram and just take her. So Abram goes to his wife and says, look, if I die, honey, it's going to be bad for you. They're going to take you anyway. It's going to be bad for all of our employees. It's going to be bad. Now, we look at that, and this creates a lot of tension in the story for us. I, I do not understand how he could do that. But remember, they're desperate. There's a famine in the land. This is one of the things that we just have to accept. God called Abram to leave his country and his hometown and go to this land that he's gonna show him. But it doesn't appear as either one, Abram is talking to God on a regular basis or two, God is speaking on a regular basis. And we don't really know which one it is. It's not really a attention that the scriptures desire to solve for us. They just desire to leave it there for us. But when Abram doesn't have a solution from God, now go do this, he decides to act. And he doesn't act out of faith, he acts out of fear. And so he goes to his wife and he says, this is the only solution that I could come up with. 
And it's easy for us to throw a stone and it's easy, us for, easy for us to judge Abram and to say, how dare you? But the implication of this on Sarai is she, in order to spare her husband's life, is gonna have to say yes and be given over to a Pharaoh who doesn't love her, doesn't care about her, just wants a night with her. You may not remember the movie Indecent Proposal. Do not go look it up. Feel free not to go watch it. But it proposes this idea, if there's a wealthy man who offered you a million dollars for a night with your wife, would you take it? Interestingly enough, that context comes right out of the Bible. And you can imagine the tenseness between them. Husbands, it would be wise for your answer to always be no, no way. I would never do that, honey. But Abram can't see another solution. It's important for us to know this. There isn't a perfect solution to an imperfect situation. And the reason I say that is, first of all, there's a ton of grace for us because every day in life, you're gonna be faced with really hard questions and God's not always going to give you the blueprint. Now go to this, now go to this, now go to this, now go to this, now go to this. And you're gonna have to take in as much information as you can take in. You're gonna have to get on your knees and pray. You have to seek the face of God, but then you're gonna have to make a decision in faith and you're gonna have to trust that God is with you. I have this sneaky suspicion that somewhere along the way, Abram didn't do this. And part of the reason I know this is because of what happens next. Verse 14, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. But then verse 16 says, he treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. <laughs> you, this is how you know you're worth something. And camels. Right? So like later when your wife is like, baby, Matt brought up some great questions today. And, um, you know, for a million dollars, no, baby, but for camels? <laughs> Thank you for the few of you who think my humor is at least quasi-funny in this really awkward conversation that we're having right now. But this is super, super important, okay? So basically what happens is Pharaoh goes, You're, man, her? She's my sister. Well, well, can I buy her from you? And Abram goes, sure. And so he gets all the goods. And Sarai goes. And the scriptures tell us nothing about what went through her heart. What kind of lack of trust or wound is built up? What anxiety or fear? I mean, come on. What, what could she have been feeling and wondering that night? Now, spiritually, there's something going on behind the scenes if you think about it for a minute, this is the boat through which Jesus is going to carry across the river, the Messiah. Because eventually you're gonna be able to track back all the way to Abraham and this promise that God gave him to be the father of many, to be the leader of a nation and through him, all nations will be blessed. So in the spiritual sense, if Satan can disrupt the promise, if Satan can bring a, a, a twist to the story, then he can prevent the ultimate outcome. Do you see it? Even though it's not said emphatically, it's there in the story. And you can see this in many ways as the passing of a test for Abram. When God calls a man or a woman to something great, there's always a test. And a test is not a temptation. These are two different things. 
But we see this all the way back in the garden. God had no problem leaving a tree in the garden to be a test for, for uh, Adam and Eve to pass. Go read Genesis sometime and just keep in the back of your head how many times trees are listed in the story. You will find in this story many times, it'll say, and by this tree, and by this tree, this thing happened. It's not an accident in the story. The writer of Genesis is directly trying to connect your brain back to tree moments because around trees, tests occur. This is a test for Abram. Will he trust God to take care of him? Will he trust God to do what needs to be done? Or will he always take matters into his own hands to meet his own needs with the best plans that he has? And what we find is God is faithful even when Abram is faithless. Because verse 17 says, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife's arrived. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. And that last part is critical because the everything he had would have included the camels. <laughs> Somehow Abram made out like a rock star in this deal. I get my wife back. She doesn't get violated by this Pharaoh. I get sent on my way and I get to keep all the goods. The problem is, his wife received some wounds. And some of you women know exactly what this feels like. See, we're, this isn't the point of today's sermon, but we will do one on this next year, I promise. But the Bible tells us that wives are to submit to their husbands. And that is a huge, huge problem. Because as a husband in this room, I can tell you, I do not always make the best decision. And sometimes I'm selfish. And sometimes I'm full of pride and arrogance, haughtiness. And the Lord has to humble me. But every time the Lord has to humble me, guess who carries the weight of the fallout? My wife and my kids. And every man in this room can relate. And this isn't a sermon about submission, but it is interesting to me. I was going to do a whole like 10 minute spiel on this, but I didn't have time. So I'm going to do a five second spiel and leave a lot of people going, huh? But in first Peter, Peter actually celebrates this part of Sarah's story because he sees this and he commends it. And he's trying to build up the women in the early church and say, look at Sarah and look at how she followed Abraham's lead. Look at how she trusted him, even in the midst of this difficult thing. And Peter's point would be my point. It's not because your husband's gonna get it right every time, but it's because God is for you. You're actually trusting God. And this is why in Genesis 12, 17, it says, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases because of Abram's wife, Sarah. Notice it doesn't say because of Abram. God inflicted diseases on Pharaoh, that poor dude. He's like, I just thought I was getting a sweet deal. No, no, but God loved Sarah, he loved her. And we can read this story and you catch that one little verse and you just keep going, you don't even notice it. But God did this for her, not for him. To protect her, to watch out for her. 
So ladies, whenever you're wondering where God is in your story, he's with you. He's at work around you. But we gotta keep moving. So we're gonna do a one, two, skip a few. What happens next, I wanna show something, is Abram is struggling with where God is in the story because what we have is basically between chapters 12 and chapter, say, 22, so about 10 chapters, we cover around 30 years of life. So that's not, there's a lot of stuff missing, a lot of stuff missing. And we get these big summary things. But Abram is struggling with where God is in his story and he doesn't understand. And so Abram goes to God and he's having this conversation, some of which we'll unpack more of next week. But in Genesis chapter 15, verse one, God says to him, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And this is important because God keeps making this promise to Abram. You are going to be the father of many nations. You are going to be the father of many. It's inside you. And Abram's going, God, my biological clock is ticking and hers is ticking too. Like how, when? And God's like, just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. I'm on it. I'm about to do it. Just wait, just wait. And this is important because now God is saying, Abram, your hope and your promise is not in a son. Your hope and your promise is not in a daughter. Your hope and your promise is in me. I am your shield. You don't have to take matters into your own hands and control the world around you. I will protect you and I will bless you. And Abram, when you realize this, you will get the desires of your heart because I'm gonna give you me and with me comes everything that you need. Yeah, thank you. I hope that's for God. <laughs> but Abram and Sarai are not so sure. So Sarai, she's getting older and she comes up with this great plan. Oh, I've got this servant. Her name is Hagar. I tell you what, Abram, why don't you go spend a night with Hagar? And maybe you can have a child to her and I'll raise a child. It'll be my own. Maybe this is the way God wants to solve the problem. And again, I know this is hard for us to understand in our day and age, but her entire identity, her entire value system is wrapped up in her ability to succeed in this way. Chapter 16, verse one, Nasarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I could build a family through her. Again, there's no perfect solution to an imperfect situation. But there is one thing that's missing in this, and that's faith. Do we trust God to be who he said he is and do what he said he would do? When we do, then we act in faith. When we don't, then we try to manage everything and control everything and take matters into our own hands. And that's when we really end up frustrating everybody around us. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. This whole thing goes sideways. He gives birth to a child named Ishmael and Abram loves Ishmael. But there's this tension that grows between Sarai and Hagar, as you can imagine, because now Sarai's like, well, that didn't solve anything. And now my husband has these feelings for her because he loves his son, Ishmael. And we don't have time to unpack the whole story. 
But I tell you what, man, this this decision creates a lot of problems. I am not an expert. I don't know the validity of this, but I do know that many Arabic people today claim their historical inheritance back to Ishmael. And this is part of the reason why there's so much tension and fighting between the Arabs and the Jews. Because the Jews say, we are the rightful sons of promise. And the Arabs go, no, 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 we came first. Again, I'm not a history major as to the validity of these things. I don't know. But you think about for a minute, one moment of weakness and how that's played out for generations and the pain and the fighting and the backbiting and the devouring between people. The reason why it's so critical that we make faith-based decisions, trusting who God is, is because the impact of these things could live for a very, very long time. We'll talk about this more over the next few weeks. But it brings us back to our original question. How much faith is enough? I mean, throughout the story of Sarah, she is celebrated for her faith. If you were to go look it up, there are at least four, depending on how you count it, maybe five references to Sarah in the New Testament, Romans and Hebrews and Peter. And in all of them, all of them, she is celebrated for her faith. How in the world could she be celebrated for her faith? She doesn't have faith. She has doubts. But maybe it's because faith isn't something that's so much rock hard, solid, without question, without anxiety. Maybe faith is something a little bit different. I reached out to a number of ladies and just said, look, uh, I do identify as a man. I was born that way, got baby that way. Um, it was supposed to be a joke, but apparently not funny, so I'll keep moving. I act like I never said it, which is usually the way my humor goes over. And uh, so God made me a man. And so I sometimes have a hard time understanding women. And if I had another 20 minutes, I could make any number of jokes about the ways that my wife and I struggle to communicate because she's a woman and I'm not. And um, she's often right and I'm often right. And uh, it's just how it goes. And uh, I'm smart enough to say it that way. And uh, it, it blows my mind how I could be paid to communicate for a living and, and sometimes have no idea how to communicate with my wife in a way that's effective. Uh, and that's because I see the world one way and she sees it another And so I had to reach out to a bunch of women and say, help me understand the way a woman hears this story. Help me understand the tension in the text for you. And I thought this was fascinating. Two different ladies uh, reached out and said this. I said, where do you struggle with understanding God? Where is God at work in this story? And how do you see yourself in this story? Tell me some Bible passages that are a struggle for you. And I thought this was interesting. One female said, I grew up in a family that loves Jesus. A family that was at the church every time the doors were open. But as a a result of some wounds, I latched on to the idea that I was a disappointment to God. I believed my value was based on my performance. And there was no way I could live up to what I was sure were God's expectations of me. As a result, I believed there was no way his promise, that there was no condemnation, or that nothing could separate us from his love could be true for me. And that feels a lot like what Sarai is going through. Another woman said to me, sometimes it feels like he is silent when I need him. Headwise, I know he's there. Heartwise, I struggle with the feeling that he doesn't have my best interests at heart. 
I struggled to trust him with my life and my well-being. See, it's not often we get to pause and talk about heroes who are ladies in the faith. That's why I wanted to spend a whole Sunday on this. And ladies, I'm sorry that you don't get seven of them because you deserve it. But I understand the female heart is different than the male heart. We were at a staff retreat um, a couple weeks ago, and we're all sitting around this little fire thing, and we're just talking. And we were actually going through some questions and just answering them. And, and some were fun and silly, and some were more serious. And one question rang out. I don't remember the details of the question, but a female asked, what anxieties do you have for your kids coming into this new school year? And a couple of ladies quickly answered the question, and the guys stood around looking at each other going, huh? Like, what do you mean anxieties for our kids? I'm not, I'm not anxious for my kids this school year. And I kind of let this banter go back and forth for a while, and I finally said to the person, I said, I, I think what you're dealing with is the difference between the male heart and the female heart. We, we struggle with different things, but therefore we have a hard time sometimes connecting because of it. But I do know there's something in the female heart related to anxiety. That doesn't mean men aren't anxious. That doesn't mean all women are anxious. But there's something in the female heart about anxiety. And there's something in the female heart that has to nail down this question, is God really faithful? There's a ton of trust that comes with being a woman in this world. A ton. Can I really walk with him? And if I'm not sure if I can, how much faith is enough faith for me to truly sit here and worship him and be saved by him? My, my, my first piece of advice to everybody, but especially to the ladies in the room, is this. When you're finding it hard to trust God, I want you to look for ways that he is showing off his faithfulness. And he's gonna do this in a variety of ways that for you is very unique to your situation. I, I, I could tell you stories about me. There's been times when ministry was hard and honestly, I wanted to quit. There's only been about a handful of these over my, my 13 years here. There's been other times in my last church. And every time, I, there was a moment I was like, God, I'm done, I'm just done, I'm done. And I would say, I gotta get out of the office I'm just done. I'm done. I don't know what it looks like, but when I come back, I'm going to look for a job. And I, I never did it. And uh, I would leave and something would happen. I'd get a text message from somebody out of nowhere. One time I went to Kroger and I told this story, but I just wanted to disappear. I was going to go to Kroger. I was going to buy something to eat and I was going to go to a little Starbucks there inside Kroger and I was going to sneak back. And uh, I just wanted to have my pity party. And I went to Kroger and somebody saw me. They were doing that weird thing where you could, I could tell they're staring at me and I don't know what's going on. And they came over to me and I'm thinking, not now. I don't like people right now. I just want to be away from people. You ever have a day like that? I do too. And this person went on and on and on about their story and how God has been using our church to change their life and just thanking me for letting God use me. And I held it together then and I got my car and I just started crying. I said, okay, God, you get one more day, but that's all you get. <laughs> and that was eight years ago. There was one time I went to breakfast with a friend and um, truly a friend. I love this person and they love me and they hurt me deeply at breakfast that day and they had, they still to this day have no idea. And I pulled out of that breakfast and my phone blew up with two text messages simultaneously, two different friends who went, I don't know what's wrong with you right now, but God just put a tremendous burden on my heart to pray for you and I just want you to know I love you. Simultaneously, the moment I got in my car, I don't know how to explain it. 
It's too ironic to be ironic. So listen, all of you, but especially ladies, when those moments come that you're struggling to see and understand God's faithfulness to you and understand what he's doing, you need to hang on. Some prayers take a really long time for God to answer. And many times he doesn't answer them the way that you want or the time that you want, but he is faithful. You can trust him. And maybe the biggest thing you need to understand is he is pursuing you right now. He's chasing you right now. We finally end up at Genesis chapter 17. And these three figures, I'm gonna call them angelic figures, show up. They go walking through. This would be a great text someday to just preach the whole thing to, but I don't have time. We're gonna focus on Sarai, not what's happening in the text, and not Abram, and not anything else. But what we find in Genesis 17 is Abram takes these three people and he's like, oh, 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 let's make a meal for them. And he tells Sarai, go, go get some food. He tells the servant, go kill the thing and let's make a big meal. And they sit and they eat underneath a tree. And Abram's standing underneath a tree, another tree, and he's watching them. And there's another test moment for Abram. But I believe part of this story in Genesis 17, if you know it, you need to go read it later if you don't. But I believe part of it, if not a huge part of it, is actually for Sarai. See, Earlier, God went to Abram and said, I'm gonna make you the father of many. Earlier, a chapter earlier, he told Abram, your wife, Sarah, is going to be pregnant. I'm going to do this. But see, God has not had the conversation with Sarai. And I don't know about you, but ladies, have you noticed that you don't trust your husbands to go to the doctor without you? Is that just my wife? Is she going, what did the doctor say? I don't know. He said, I'll be all right. Well, did he give you a prescription? Yeah, what's it for? I don't know. He said, take it twice a day. With food or without food? I don't know, it'll probably stay on the bottle. I don't know. My wife's like, I have to go to everything. Now, I realize not everybody is wired like me, but I do think it's interesting. We show up in the story in chapter 17, verse 15. God also said to Abraham, his name has changed now. As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. That's in chapter 17. But that isn't said to Sarai. Chapter 18, now these three figures show up. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seeds of the finest flour and knead it to bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He brought some curds and milk, because that's what everybody wants to eat, and the calf that had been prepared and sent these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Do you see everything I just said? Then these angelic figures say, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him, there in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. She is nearly 90 years old. And I get it. The math isn't one-to-one, but what's 90 then? The, the 65 today? Whatever it is, the whole purpose here is she's way past time. In fact, so much so, the verse 11 says, now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Whatever the number was back then, they're past it. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, now have this pleasure? 
The Lord reference there is to Abraham himself. Again, not for today's message, but she is not calling him God. It has to do with the positions of the way things were viewed in that day. But she's like, now that my husband's old, now that I'm old, I can't even bear kids anymore. Now you're gonna give me this gift. Ha, whatever. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? So back then, these, these tents would have been pretty large tents and there would have been different compartments inside the tent. You can't really quite think about like your typical backyard tent. They're much bigger than that, just different than that. But they had these different compartments for different people. And it's most likely that Sarah was inside her compartment, heard the guests, heard the meeting, heard them talking, maybe got curious about the conversation. You can almost picture her like parting her portion of the tent and eavesdropping in, but she's still very much inside and you can't really see her. But because these aren't regular men, even though they look like men, it's very much a prefiguration of Jesus himself. He's something else, but he's a man. And they look just like men and she's listening. And, and one of them says, about this time next year, Sarah's gonna be pregnant. And she goes, ha, whatever. And then the angel goes, why did she laugh? Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. And verse 15, Sarah was afraid. So she lied. She said, I didn't laugh. You know what this is like, right? When you catch your kids with a cookie. But the angel said, yes, you did laugh. And this is such a powerful thing. Go read the whole story for yourself because the angelic figure had, could not have known Sarah laughed because she laughed inside very quietly to herself. But he knew because he wasn't just a normal figure. It's God in the flesh. And I'm convinced this is Jesus literally Jesus. And why did he show up today? Why did he have this conversation? Ladies, don't miss this. He did it because he loves Sarah. He's pursuing a relationship with her. He wants her to know that she's cherished and valued. And even though everything has looked like Abraham, 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 he sees her heart. He knows her heart. He's been watching out for her and protecting her not once, but twice, by the way, Abram tried to pull that stunt with a foreign king. He did it again. You're like, what an idiot. There's no perfect solution to an imperfect situation. The whole point, ladies, is God will go with you through your pain and your circumstance. So let's come back to our question. How much faith is enough faith? How much does it take? Because she is celebrated for her faith. And the answer is enough to keep going forward. Even when you doubt, even when you hurt, even when you fear. Jesus says, with a faith as big as a mustard seed, he can literally move mountains. That's not much faith. So you don't have to have it all solved. You don't have to have it all reconciled. You don't have to have complete trust in all situations. There's okay to have doubt, but in your unbelief, draw near to the heart of your father and find that he's caring for you. He loves you. Look for him and you will be blessed. What I want to do right now is take us right into communion. And listen, let's not make a bunch of noise with the communion cups. I just want you to do this. The night of Jesus' arrest, he had doubts. He had fear. And so he went to his knees and he said, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. But now my will be done, yours. So he did. He went into this quiet place with God and God met him. And it says in Luke, God sent angels to minister to him there. I don't know how angels work. 
don't? When is it the Holy Spirit? When is it the fellowship of believers? When is it an angelic moment? I don't know, I don't know. And what I do know is when we cry out to God in our hurt and in our anxiety and in our fear, God desires to meet us and minister to us in whatever way needs to get the job done. So as you come into communion, I want you to see yourself very much connecting with Jesus right now. And if you have some doubts and some fears and anxieties and some questions going on in your faith, I want you to lift those up to God right now in communion. And if you're in a great place and your faith is strong, then I want you to leverage this time to pray for someone else who's going through it right now. Use this to pray for somebody struggling with cancer or struggling to get pregnant or, 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 or struggling with some sort of question about God, a child who's wayward, or perhaps this world or community that we live in, whatever it is, pray for someone. I'll start a prayer and I'll hand it to you. May God meet us in this place. Oh God, would you increase our faith? Men and women alike, may we be, may we be able to say that we're like Sarah. That even in our doubts and even in our questions and even in our anxieties and even in our fears, God, that we could trust you, that we would trust you and that, God, you would work through that. God, we love you. Meet us in this place right now and build us up and send us out, God, transformed by your love in Jesus' name.